Good evening. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we lift up your name tonight in music. We lift your name up in prayer and in sharing the word, Father. You know our hearts, you know our needs, you know our struggles, you know the victories, you know the, the paths we're on that we're not sure there's a victory, Father, but you are faithful, you are there, you are constant, you are holy, you take care of your children, Lord. May we trust in you more and more each day. Well, may we love you more and more each day, Father. We thank you who you are, who you desire to be in our lives as we yield our hearts and our minds and our lives to you. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I'm not Mike. Um, I'm not Todd. I'm not Ryan. So I guess I'm, you're down to the fourth string tonight. If you, if you count Ken and, and uh, Tim, I'm, I'd be sixth string, I guess. But you know what? I'm first string worship leader, so there you go. But uh, uh, I'm Steve. I lead the worship in case since some of you, looks like most of you know me, but maybe one or two don't. But it's good to be get this opportunity. I don't get to do this very often, so uh, I look forward to, uh, to doing it tonight. Uh, Mike's away, and uh, Ryan and Todd are teaching their own. Uh, disciple classes right now. Of course, Ken and Tim are tied up in their areas. Um, so, tell you a little something that happened. One Sunday morning, an old cowboy entered a church just before services were to begin. Although the old man and his clothes were spotlessly clean, he wore jeans, a denim shirt, and boots that were very worn and ragged. In his hand, he carried a worn-out old hat and an equally worn-out old Bible. The church he entered was in a very upscale and exclusive part of the city. It was the largest and most beautiful church the old cowboy had ever seen. The people of the congregation were all dressed with expensive clothes and accessories. As the cowboy took his seat, the others moved away from him. No one greeted him, spoke to him, or welcomed him. They were all appalled at his appearance and did not attempt to hide it. The preacher gave a long sermon about hellfire and brimstone and a stern lecture on how much money the church needed to give for God's work. As the old cowboy was leaving the church, the preacher came up to him and asked the cowboy to do him a favor. He said, before you come back in here again, have a talk with God and uh, ask him what he thinks would be a, an appropriate attire for worship. The old cowboy assured the preacher, I'll do that, preacher, I'll do it. So the next Sunday, he showed up for the services again, and he was wearing the same ragged jeans, shirt, shoes, and a hat. Once again, he was completely shunned and ignored. The preacher approached the man after the service, and he said, I thought I asked you to speak to God before you came back to our church. The cowboy said, I, I did, I did. Well, if the preacher said, if he spoke to God, then what did he tell you the proper attire should be for worshiping in here? Asked the preacher said, well, well, sir, the cowboy said, God told me that he didn't have a clue what I should wear. He said, he's never been to your church before. <laughs> well, we definitely don't want to be that kind of church. Tonight, I'm going to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how we build our church First Baptist Church Dixon and the Church Universal on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing. That's top priority. You see, the gospel is what distinguishes us 
from other religions. Other religions, they teach you uh, things that you got to do. Got to do this, got to do that, got to do this. But Christianity teaches these things are, this is beautiful, these things are already done. They're already done. In both religious systems and non-religious systems, personal success or fulfillment is attained through achieving a certain goal. Talking about other religions like heaven, nirvana, reincarnation, enlightenment, or just plain old happiness. There's a set of steps or instructions that you must take and adhere to to reach these goals I just mentioned. In religious systems, the steps are steps of obedience, commandments that must be followed to reach that goal. But in Christianity, obviously, we have steps to obedience too. But here's the difference. Christianity teaches that the God of the Bible is holy and just, and that His commandments are meant to be obeyed. Amen? But here's the difference. The difference is only Christianity teaches that we are unable to obey God's commands. We can't do it. We can't do it. His standards are so high. We can't do it. We can't, we can't follow His commands. We can't keep up with them. We can't keep up, up, up with them in a way that merits salvation. We cannot, in other words, we cannot earn His forgiveness. We can't do it. We can't work enough, do enough to earn His forgiveness. We're just not good enough. Even, even our best deeds, our best deeds are tainted by wrong motivations and even our best intentions result in imperfect obedience, imperfect obedience. When our religion is based on good works only, the focus is on me, not Jesus. When it's all about me, if that's all about doing good works and it's about me, not the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how can we be saved? If we can't work it in, how do we get saved? Well, Paul expresses the good news of divine rescue, divine rescue in this way. If you want to get your Bibles out now, uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15. I forgot to welcome everybody who's watching online, Facebook and YouTube. I'm not used to that, so we're glad you're with us. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Now, brothers, and I'm reading from the Holman Standard. Now, brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel I proclaim to you. You received it and have taken your stand on it. You are also saved by it if you hold to the message I proclaim to you, unless you believe to no purpose. For I pass to you as most important what I also received. Here we go. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. That's the gospel right there. Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture. He was buried and he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. In verse two, he says, you are saved, also saved by it if you hold on to the message. Perseverance, perseverance is a test of the reality and sincerity of our faith in Christ. That's the test if we hold on. Partaking of Christ isn't merely a one-time experience. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever believeth in Him, that word believeth is continual. It's not a one and done thing. It's a continual thing. We continue to believe. We 
continue to persevere. We continue to uh, serve Him by faith. The gospel is the good news. If I ask you for a definition, that's what most of us would say. The good news, the gospel is the good news. It's the good news that God saves sinners by His grace, given in the completed work, right here we see, of Jesus in those verses. It has absolutely nothing, zero, to do with sinners, you and I, and our works of obedience. It has nothing to do with that. Let me just illustrate that. Look, turn over to uh, Luke 20. Keep your finger on there, 1 Corinthians. But turn over to Luke chapter 23. Let me, let me illustrate. This, the gospel is the good news that Jesus... That God saves sinners by His grace, given in the completed work of Jesus, has nothing to do with us or our works of obedience. Luke 23, here we go. Let me give you an example of that from, from the Gospel of Luke, verse, starting at verse 39. Then, uh, Jesus is being crucified. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at Him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking Him. Don't you even fear God? Since you are undergoing the same punishment, we are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise today. So my question is, thief on the cross, what was his good works? None. There were no good works. There were no good He wasn't even baptized. But what did Jesus say? Today you'll be with me in paradise. Because he put his faith in Christ right there at the last moment, at the last second. He put his faith in Christ. So it's not about our good works. It has nothing to do with our good works. The gospel is the most important thing about Christianity. And therefore... It should be the most important thing in our Christian churches. It should be, the gospel should be the most important thing in First Baptist Church Dixon. It should be the foundation which we build and which we put everything upon is that. Look, at, look back over now at 1 Corinthians specifically. Back at verse in chapter 15. Notice, what does Paul repeat? What, does Paul, what phrase does Paul repeat? He says it twice. He says it in verse... Uh, Verse 3, and then again in verse 4. What does he say? He repeats a phrase in my version. Yeah. Twice he says, in accordance with the Scriptures. Paul says that twice. Twice for emphasis. When Paul refers to Scriptures here, he's obviously not referring to the Bible that we, as we have it today. But he's referring to the Scriptures of his day, the Torah, the five books of the law, and the prophets. Paul is saying that the Old Testament already promised, had already promised and revealed what would happen to Jesus, that he would die, that his death would be for our sins, and that he would not stay dead, but would be raised to new life on the third day. The whole Bible is about Jesus, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Genesis to Revelation, it's all about Jesus. Revelation here. The Bible is about Jesus. It's not about us. It's not about us. Now, where it's a love story inviting us to come in faith, but it's not about us. But we often read it like it was. You know, we, 
We turn to it looking for guidance, for stories to encourage us and heroes to elevate us as examples. We want to be brave like David who killed the giant with a stone. We want to be faithful as Abraham who did not hold back his only son. We want to be righteous like Noah, as wise as Solomon and unwavering like Paul. But if we do that, in doing that, we're missing the greater story that God has been telling from the beginning. The story that doesn't tell us to be like these heroes of the faith, but of our need for the hero that all the Bible heroes point to. David, Abraham, Noah, Solomon, Paul, on and on. All of them point to the hero, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Through every passage of Scripture, through every story and parable and prophecy, God is telling one story. His plan to rescue His people from sin through life, death, and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the good news that people are desperately searching for. They don't even know sometimes, but that's what they're looking for. That's what they're searching for. The gospel is news. It's not advice. It's not advice. It's news. The word gospel uh, comes from the Greek word evangel, which we get our words evangelism and evangelical. And it essentially does mean good news. The gospel is not a set of instructions. It's, it's an announcement of news. And I like to submit to you, it's, it's, it's not just good news, it's great news. In fact, back in the day when this, when this was first coined, this is how the meaning that it took on. Let me, I'm just going to illustrate. You have to use your imagination with me on this. Say, um, let's look up there at the baptistry. We got, we're over here on this side of that water, right? We're, this is our town. We're over here. Over across the water in the far distance, our, our, our army is out there fighting. We're, about, we're getting attacked. We're getting attacked. But we're fighting our enemy out across the water in the distance. But we don't know what's going on. We can't see. All we see is a cloud of dust and hear noises and commotion and, and all of that. That's all, that's all we know that's going on. But finally, we see somebody come riding up on horseback or whatever, uh, they, but they come forward and they holler to us, we've won. We've won. We've won the battle. We've won the fight. We've won the skirmish. And you know what? That's good news. That's the gospel. That's the good news. We've won that battle. Therefore, they're not going to come in here and they're not going to pillage our village. They're not going to take our women and children and do whatever. They're not going to kill our men. They're not going to make us slaves. It's the good news. We've won the battle. It's the good news. So that's, that's kind of what it means here as the bearer of good news. If, if you think about it, it's the bad news, though, that makes it the good news. So what is the bad news? Well, let's look back. 1 Corinthians, where we were right there, 15.3. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. That's the bad news. We're sinners. That's the bad news. You know, we try to desperately try to explain away sin. We call it a mistake or an error or a misjudgment or, or a weakness. I like what uh, Adrian Rogers, he said, we blame sin on three things. We blame it on behaviorism, 
which says that man's just the sum total of his chemistry and environment. I can't help it. That's just you know the, the way I was raised. That's what the, the environment I grew up in. Second, we blame it on evolutionism, saying that man's just an accident. There's no fixed standard of right or wrong. Everything's just changing or evolving. And then finally, Rogers, Adrian Rogers says, we blame sin on humanism. We say, oh, sin's just an invention of the church to keep everybody in line. And Adrian Rogers goes on to say this. He says, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Let me say that again. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. So we got to deal with that bad news of sin, the problem of sin, so that the gospel can be good news. So we got to deal with that. So what does Paul say the news is in verses 3 and 4? This is the gospel. That Christ, first of all, he what? He died. He was buried. And then he was raised on the third day. That's the gospel. With every other religion or, or philosophy in the world that wants us to give things, give things, do merit our salvation. But only Christianity says in the gospel, you can't do it. You cannot do it. But Jesus did. Jesus did it for you. But the gospel stops, you see, when we start trying to do things to merit our salvation. The gospel just comes to a stop when we try to do things to merit our salvation. Over, and I'm going to read for you Romans eleven six. Now, if by grace, then it is not by works. Otherwise, grace ceases to be grace. 11.6. Now, if by grace, then it is not by works. Otherwise, grace ceases to be grace. So true or false, the gospel is how I became a Christian because of the gospel. True. True or false, the gospel is how I continue as a Christian. True. Both are true. The only way to become a Christian is through the death and resurrection of Jesus that reconciles us to God. That's the only way. But the only way to continue as a Christian is through trusting to Jesus to save us from our sins and enable us through the Holy Spirit to follow Him. The Bible talks about salvation in three different tenses. Past, I was saved when I first trusted Christ. Present, I'm being saved, like in verse 2 there. As I continue to trust the gospel for his forgiveness and salvation, that's why the word, in the ESV it says, hold fast to the word, hold fast to the word. In the future, I will be saved from the wrath of God on the day of judgment. So I became a saved person by trusting the gospel. I continue to be a saved person by trusting the gospel. And one day I will enter God's kingdom as as a saved person by trusting the gospel. And I, I heard this just the other day. Uh, explained it this way. I thought this was great. It said, first, we become Christians. Go back to the day you became a Christian. We become Christians. We're saved from the penalty of sin. Eternity in hell apart from the presence of God. We're saved from the penalty of sin. Second, now as Christians, we're being saved from the power of sin. So we are saved initially from the penalty of sin. We're not going to hell anymore. We're going to be with the Lord forever. But we're being saved now from the power of sin. Let me illustrate that. In Romans 6, verses 6 and 7, it says this. We're being, we're being saved from the power of sin. This is what this is talking about. 
We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. There's the progression. And then skipping down to verse 14. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. And then Romans 8, verse 1 and 2. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So we're saved from the penalty of sin. We're saved from the power of sin. And then finally, one day we'll be saved. I love this. One day we'll be saved from the presence of sin. We'll be in the presence of our perfect and holy God where sin will be cast out forever. I, I think that's, that's just a great way to say, to, to paint the picture here. We're saved from the penalty of sin at, at the point of salvation. We're saved from the power of sin as we grow in Christ. We quit, we quit the sin we have the, because of the power, the grace of God. And then one day we'll be safe from the presence of sin. And that will be glorious to be safe from the presence of sin. Jesus and his gospel should... I'm going to get into worship here for a minute. Sorry, that's just what I do. Uh, but Jesus and his gospel should be the central theme of our worship. That should be the theme. If you don't see the gospel, if you don't hear the gospel and there's an issue, there's a problem. It needs to be every service. You need to hear the gospel. We can drift into the law mode. The law mode is, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? What I got to do? What I got to do? Tell me what I got to do. What I got to do. That's the law mode. And we drift away from the grace mode, which is Jesus has already done it. That's the grace mode. Jesus has already done it. And it can happen on Sundays during worship. It can happen on Sundays during worship. Let me illustrate this. First, it can happen in the songs we sing. If our songs are all or mainly focused on our own actions and responses and feelings rather than having a balance of both praising God for who He is and what He has done and giving opportunities to respond to His grace, then we're teaching ourselves and each other that our Christian lives are about what we do. About what we do. Take for instance, and I'm guilty here, I've led this song before, but I've Taking, look, I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> That's a long time ago. Take, for instance, the song, uh, I Love You, Lord. Just listen to the lyrics here. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul, rejoice, take joy, my King, and what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. That's all about me. I love you, Lord. I lift my voice. Oh, my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my king, in what you hear from me, my quality. Now take that and oppose verses, the, the hymn, holy, holy, holy. Here we go already, right out of the gate. Out of the gate. Holy, holy, holy. Talking about the Lord. Lord God Almighty. Early in the morning, now it hits it just a little here. Our song shall rise to the holy, 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 merciful and mighty God in three persons, blessed Trinity. That's all about God. That's all about God. It's not about me and, and my... Sometimes we worship worship, just to be honest with you. Sometimes we worship worship. I heard, this is kind of an aside, but I, I, and I've never said this. I haven't had occasion to say this, but I heard of a, 
I don't know if it was a worship, I guess it was a worship leader or a pastor was approached one day and after the service and somebody said, I just didn't like those songs we sang. I just didn't like those songs we sang. You know what they said? They said, well, that's great because we weren't worshiping you. But whoa. But that's true. That's true. It's not about us. We're there to worship the Lord. So it can happen in the songs we sing, but it can also happen in the sermons we preach. Overemphasizing application in sermons and not showing how it flows from the gospel may leave people feeling that they've got to be given a list of things to do. Back to the law mode. Do, 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 do. So that their conduct becomes motivated by, oh, I ought to do this or I have to do this. Then because of the gospel, I want to or I get to do this. That's the grace mode. I don't have to. That's the law mode. I get to. I want to. That's the gospel mode. Let me illustrate. um, At a church I was in one time serving, not here, in a a prior ministry at another church, Uh, the pastor was giving, and he, he, he didn't mean anything by this, but it just... I don't know, it just got to me. Uh, but he was doing a sermon series and he was talking about five steps. Five steps to being a better husband. Five steps to being a better wife. Five steps to being a better parent. Five steps, five steps, five steps. Better, better, better. And I was thinking to myself, I got to the point where I started thinking to myself, well, what about just five steps to loving Jesus more? Five steps to loving Jesus more. If I love Jesus like I should, then I'll be a better spouse. I'll be a better parent. I'll be a better everything if I love Jesus. Because of Jesus and the gospel, I want to and get to do all those things in His power and under His leadership and control. In all those other five sermons, man is the center of the sermon. Be a better husband. Be a better wife. Be a better parent. But when we switch the emphasis to Jesus, then it's the gospel. It's It's about Him. It's not about us. And you know, we cannot, we can, we're all guilty here. We can also drift into the law mode in our conversations when we gather in here and after we leave. It's easy for our conversations with each other to compare our lives. Well, how's the family at the moment? What grades did your children get? Or sorting out the practicalities of what we do here at church. Can you, can you be on the hospitality team? Can, can you help with decorating the church? Uh, have you, I don't think anybody would say this, but have you increased your giving recently? We tend to slip into these kinds of uh, discussions more easily than we ask these kind of things. Well, how's the Lord been working in your life? What's He been teaching you through His Word? Since the gospel is the foundation of worship, every aspect of church life should be motivated by the gospel. It should be our reason for being. From children's ministry counting tithes, from counseling to custodial work. Colossians 3.23, whatever we do, let us do all things to the glory of God in Christ. Whatever we do. It will be eaten. It's easier to connect the finished work of Jesus to some things than others. But nevertheless, we want to be faithful to make the gospel the center, the motivation. Because we always, it's just our nature, we want to drift back into the law mode. Make it about me and what I'm doing and what I'm not doing. So how does that, what does that look like in the church? Let's look at the difference between the grace mode and the law mode. So imagine that two people are working together to prepare the coffee before worship. Two people working together to do the coffee before worship or Sunday school, whatever. And as they brew the coffee, laying out the cups, all that, 
One's worshiping and one's not. What? Well, how's that possible? One's worshiping, one's not. This is a question about our motivation for serving. Both people are serving outwardly, but they're serving, but are they serving like a gospel-shaped Christian? In other words, are they worshiping? Do everything as unto the Lord. Everything. Always. Not just in this building or out there in the Sunday school. Everything. 24-7. Everything as unto the Lord. That's a worshiping the Lord. So the question is, what's going on in the person's heart as they're, as they're making the coffee, as they're serving and doing that? Possible reasons for uh, serving may include serving Jesus to be good enough for Him. There's that law mode. Serving Jesus to earn something from Him. Law mode. Serving Jesus to pay Him back. Law mode. Serving to impress others. Serving in order to belong to the church family. Think about some ways that you serve. Is the gospel your motivation for teaching Sunday school? For teaching Bible ladies' Bible study, men's Bible study, singing in the choir? What's your motivation for being a deacon, serving on a committee? Is it just because somebody asked you to do that? What's your motivation? Why are you doing it? When we gather on Sundays, Sunday mornings, we are in effect, what's happening is, and should be happening, is we are re-gospeling ourselves. Re-gospeling ourselves. All during the week, all during the week, the world puts the focus on stuff to make us happy, make us satisfied. That's what the world does. So when we gather together on Sundays, we re-gospel. We get, oh no, oh no, this is the way we're supposed to, this is the way, the gospel is the way. I want to read um, Psalm 73 to you. Speaking of re-gospeling. Psalm 7. I'm not going to read all of it. And this it says, uh, it's a psalm of Asaph. And Asaph was a, was a, he was more, he was a choir director. But he was more than, than just a choir director. He was a spiritual man who grew up with deep religious training. But in these first 15 verses of reflection, he thinks he has self-pity. He has self-pity. I'm going to read it. God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. Now we're not talking about Johnny come lately to Christianity. We're talking about Asaph. He, he's, he's a spiritual man. He's had a lot of training. He's right in the middle of it. But it says here about him, but as for me, my feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray. Why? For I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have an easy time until they die. And their bodies are well fed. They're not in trouble like others. They're not afflicted like most people. Therefore, pride is their necklace. And violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge out from fatness. The imaginations of their hearts run wild. They mock and they speak maliciously. They arrogantly threaten oppression. They set their mouths against heaven and their tongues strut across the earth. Therefore, his people turn to them and drink in their overflowing waters. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High know everything? They're mocking God. 
They're saying, ah, oh, God's clueless. He, know, he doesn't even know what's going on. Look at them, the wicked, Asaph says. Look at them in verse 12. Look at them, the wicked. They're always at ease and they increase their wealth. Did I, did I purify my heart and wash my hands and his innocence for nothing? Have I invested all of, in Christianity? Have I invested all that for nothing? Verse 14, for I'm afflicted all day long and punished every morning. If I had decided, here he goes, if I had decided to say these things aloud, I would have betrayed your people. When I tried to understand all this, those first 15 verses, when he was looking around seeing how the, how the wicked prospered, when he, when, he tried, when he tried to understand all that, it seemed hopeless. Verse 17, until I entered God's sanctuary. Until I entered God's sanctuary. He was re-gospeled. He, got his, he got quit looking at the world. I said, ah, oh, what have I done? No, it's Jesus. What have I done? What have I done? He re-gospeled himself. And that's what we do. That's what we should do when we come together on Sunday mornings. We should re-gospel ourselves. Go back to uh, 1 Corinthians 15, our main verses. Now, brothers, I want to clarify for you, brothers, he's talking to the Christians. Now, brothers, I want to clarify you, for you the gospel I proclaim to you, where you received it, and have taken your stand on it. You are also saved by it. If you hold on to the message I proclaim to you, unless you believe to no purpose. For I passed on to you as most important, most important, there's Paul, most important, what I also received, he also received. Here's the gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and then he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. And it's simple. It's simple. It's simple. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for all the gospel has done and is doing in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that that we are saved because of the gospel from the penalty of sin. We are saved from, from the uh, power of sin. And then one day we will be saved from the presence of sin because of the gospel. And Lord, we thank you for those that shared the gospel with us, Lord, that took the time, that invested in us, that, that had a heart for us. May we do, and be, do the same likewise, Lord. May we have a burden for those that do not know you, our children, our, our students, Lord, that we could share the gospel with them. And this, for you, who your heads are bowed, just think about in the ways you serve here at First Baptist. All of you serve in different ways and manners. Just ask God to help you keep the gospel central in whatever it is you do as church.
Lord, we just pray that you would help us as a church to our leadership, Lord, to make godly decisions that will serve the gospel here at First Baptist and also within our local area here in Dixon, Lord. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his love for us. I pray your, your blessings on the family that is gathered here tonight, those that are watching. Pray your blessings on all of us, Father. May we keep the gospel in the forefront, Lord. May we not neglect it. May we not neglect it, get sidetracked. May we not drift into the law mode, but stay in the grace mode, Lord. And we'll be thankful and we'll give you honor and, and glory and praise for it. Thank you for your word, Lord. How rich, so rich it is, Lord. May we be more hungry for it. Not just check in the box, say we did our five or ten minute devotion, but may we be more hungry to dig deep, Lord. To know that you desire, Lord, to show us more and more and more of you and more and more of the gospel. May it be the foundation of everything that we do here at First Baptist Church. Every area, every area. May it be the foundation. And I pray all this in, in the powerful name of Jesus. And all the saints said, Amen. All right. Thank you. Well, don't, 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 uh, don't tell the preacher I'll let you out eight minutes early. So. But uh, uh, one announcement real quick. Uh, so next week, if you come in here, you'll be in choir practice. Because next week... Choir resumes, and we're resuming in this room right here so we can spread out because singing can be kind of uh, challenging for the season we're in because of COVID. You know, that's uh, you all are going to go to the choir room. You're going to go to the choir room, but you're not singing in the choir room. They are, some of them are singing, but you're not singing. We're in here, all of us singing, spreading aerosols all over the place, and they're like saying, you know, come and get me, come and get me. But but uh, so anyway, so for the foreseeable future, the choir is going to be in here till we get past that season uh, so we can spread out and not be so concentrated in a small room while we all of us sing and, and sing strong and loud. And uh, so just FYI. So next week, meet in the choir room instead of in here. Good. Or if you want to sing in the choir, come in here. That's fine. Thank you. God bless you.